Hi, I'm Matt Falk, speaking words to you from Hadi Da Studio. Welcome to Past, Present, Future, the only podcast in the universe that dares to appease the ghosts of comedy past, comedy present, and comedy yet to come. My guest today is an award-winning comedian and comedy writer. Not only has he appeared on the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, but in 2020, he became the artistic director of the festival. He's won a Writers Guild of Canada Award, a Canadian Screen Award, a Canadian Comedy Award, and was nominated for a Gemini Award. He's written for a ton of Just for Laughs specials for humans like Joan Rivers, Neil Patrick Harris, Sarah Silverman, and Nathan Lane, and for non-humans like the Muppets. His razor-sharp wit and eye-for-joke construction has made him a respected and sought-after comic all across the country, which is illustrated by his 17 appearances on the hit CBC radio show, The Debaters. Please welcome Dean Jenkinson. Hi, Dean. Hi, Matt. Thank you for saying in Less than a minute, everything I've done in 30 years, it makes me sound very impressive. It, well, you are very impressive. Ah. Let's let's not start off with some uh, false humility here. Let's just, let's be honest and tell the people that uh, you kick some serious comedy butt. That's very kind of you. I just want them to know it took it took a long time to accumulate all those things. That's not something that's not something that got packed into a one minute like you did. Well, and that's actually really uh, encouraging and helpful because I think you know my podcast is listened to by literally probably four different people. And <laughs> of those four, statistically, one of them wants to be a comedian. Cause as we all know, 25% of the human population wants to get on stage. And it, it is encouraging to remember that, you know, these accolades and these things, they don't, they don't happen overnight. It, it, does, it is a body of work. It takes time. Yes. Enjoy the ride as they say. Oh, that's beautiful. We're starting off so sentimental. I really like this. I always like to give people kind of like a, like an indication of how we know each other. We are both uh, from the wonderful city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and no, we've worked together in the past many times, but we had a conversation and you told me that you think the first time we really kind of like met and worked together was at a homegrown comedy showcase for Just for Laughs. I think so, yeah. It was definitely Rumors Comedy Club and I feel like it was some kind of high profile thing. So if it wasn't that, it was something very similar, but I think it was the homegrown competition, which I have, I think, done at least four times and lost to four separate people who went to Just for Laughs that year. So every year I had my hopes crossed. This was my, or my hopes crossed, my hopes up and my Your fingers hopes crossed. crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I crossed my hopes. And that might have been why I didn't get it, because you're not supposed to cross your hopes. <laughs> you got to keep your hopes uncrossed because that really messes up the comedy. <laughs> Everyone knows that. I And I, I can I can uh, relate to you because I I was uh, showcasing for uh, Zoe for Just for Laughs the same year that K. Trevor Wilson uh, went on to to get selected for homegrown and then went on to win homegrown comedy competition. And I remember specifically being in the back of the room. I did my set. And I did really well. And then I remember watching all the comedians go up after me. And this is so arrogant. But I remember thinking to myself, I think I've got this. Like, I think I got it in the bag. <laughs> but then I remember K. Trevor Wilson walked up and did his uh, slow, methodical, absolute demolition of the audience. And I remember not only thinking – well, I'm definitely not going to win. I remember thinking I should probably just quit comedy because there's there's no point of 
<laughs> of doing anything after hearing something as wonderful as that. So I, I can relate. I hear you. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be, well, I was going to say someone funnier, but yeah, often yeah. many, many people funnier. Thousands funnier. I think, I think the important thing to remember about comedy it's a competition. It's That's definitely right. it's definitely about ranking people from <laughs> best to worst and finding what your number is. Um, it certainly can't be about uh, you know the art form or no. <laughs> having having you know a platform to share laughter or your perspective yeah. on life or anything like that. It's about it's it's an Olympic sport. You got to train hard. You got to compete hard and you have to crush your contemporaries and your peers. We're, I think we're teaching the next generation of comedians a lot of good stuff here. That's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, can I also say, before we jump in, which we haven't even started yet, this isn't this, <laughs> this isn't the official podcast, is that I was at, I, I wasn't at, but I went to Just for Laughs this last year. The quickest way to get to Just for Laughs for all you young comics listening is just to buy a plane ticket and attend Just for Laughs. You don't even need to be invited. You can just show up and watch the shows and pretend that you're in the festival. So that's what I did last year. And I was watching the Mark Marin Gala and the before the show starts, the music's all pumping. And ladies and gentlemen, Dean Jenkinson. And then you walk out and you warm up the crowd and do the intro and welcome everybody here. And that was so cool to see you on that stage. It's so fun. I, you know, those are the only times I've been on that stage is when I get to walk out and warm up the audience because I happen to be backstage, uh, you know, writing and, you know, I write uh, some host monologue uh, jokes. I write some of the host intro jokes and you're just, you're just kind of an invisible grunt, but the producer of the show knows that I do stand up and he knows that I'm not going to go out there and say anything outrageous or offensive or steal the spotlight. I'm going to do my job, which is to be friendly and warm and make them laugh a couple of times. So it's, it's a huge treat for me and it's a nice treat for just for laughs because uh, it's free, you know, I just, I just go out and do it because <laughs> I'm there and I'm like, sure, I'll go tell jokes on the big stage. That's it was a good feeling. It was really fun watching you do it and you did a, a wonderful job. I would think though that it'd be more satisfying to go up after the host because you've just written jokes for this host and it'd be nice to like go up there and then and do your comedy and then walk back and then whisper to them, that's how you deliver one of my lines. <laughs> I have gotten to go on after the hosts uh, sometimes just because the host will come out and do the monologue. Yeah. And then once the host has done the monologue, that's when the theater will open the doors and let the latecomers who didn't arrive on time in. So Ooh. they'll take a little break from the show so that they don't interrupt the TV taping. And then uh -huh. I have like a list of jokes burning the, uh, the latecomers <laughs> passive aggressively, nice. right? It's all right. Take your time. Don't rush. Now's not the time to rush the time to rush was 60 minutes ago, right? Those kind of <laughs> nice. So a few times I've done that and then I've gotten to pass the host as they go back out and I come off and Wanda Sykes said, that was great, you did a great job or um, a couple other people who, uh, who I'm gonna blank on. And it's, it's always just a nice feeling. Uh, and you know, it could be that uh, they're just being normal humans who are polite and say nice things to people that you cross paths with, uh, you know, so that they just don't uh, have an awkward, but I choose to believe 
that I did a good job and Wanda Sykes said good job because I did a good job. That's very I would agree story. because Wanda does not have to. I call her Wanda because we're on first name basis. But Wanda, uh, Wandy, Wandy has often remarked to me, no, she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to say good job. It's just as just as non awkward to get the mic and say, thanks so much. But to to choose to say, hey, that was a great job. That's really cool. And from someone like Wanda Sykes, who is a uh, a joke machine, is uh, is also very cool. Hey, Dean, you're you're familiar with the format of the show, right? You you want you yes. listen to this podcast every other week, right? Yes, there are three ghosts that are going to visit me. That's right. And what a good segue, because here comes the first one. I am the ghost of comedy past. Today I take you to your favorite celebrity you've ever written jokes for. Okay. See, I figured, I think he wanted to get in there because he could sense us encroaching on this topic already. But mm. Dean, we're talking about the favorites, your favorite celebrity you've ever written jokes for. He's brought us to this place in space and time. I can see what you're seeing right now. Tell, tell the listening audience what we're looking at. Where are we? Uh, sorry, you can see what I'm seeing? Tell me yeah, what that is. Me and you, Dean, don't take people out of this. Me and you are... <laughs> Have just been transported through space yes. and time yes. to your in the past to oh, your I see. celebrity you've ever written jokes for. So yes. I can see what you can see. Oh, and now explain. This is ridiculous. You said with, you've listened to the show, and now I feel I like I didn't you realize have. I was physically in a different place, looking at the the fa- the most favorite yes. celebrity. Of, yes, I didn't that's realize the we whole were point of there. the goat. So they, they bring you us. to yes. Have oh, you never okay. seen the Charles Dickens thing? What's it called? The Christmas. Christmas. Carol, we Carol? legally can't say what it is because we didn't steal the idea from them. We st- this is an original concept. Anyway, that's okay. I'm sorry for getting upset. But we're here. Right. You can see what I'm seeing. I gotcha. I, you know what? I, I see two. I see two celebrities, and they're they're competing to be my favorite. Oh, okay. Um, I, I I very much enjoyed uh, writing jokes for Sarah Silverman, yeah. and uh, I very much enjoyed writing jokes for Nathan Lane, um, okay. and for. Uh, I guess slightly different reasons. They're both wonderful and they both like knocked it out of the park. And it was right. just a thrill to hear them uh, take what you had given them and just uh, crush with it. Uh, Sarah, I worked with first and she was a comedy hero of mine ever since uh, I was, I was a young pup in comedy uh, to the point that back in the days when there were uh, comedy CDs and comedy, I'm sorry, DVDs. Yeah. Um, I'd be at work. I, I worked at CBC radio at the time and on YouTube, we'd take a little uh, break from working because we're slackers. And we would watch, <laughs> we would sit, we'd gather around because there was a, a sneak peek at Sarah Silverman's upcoming comedy DVD. And, and we would laugh. And I, I said, that's going to be great. How about mm. if I order this DVD and when it arrives in the mail, as things used to do. <laughs> wow. The ghost brought <laughs> us back to a really distant past. <laughs> Why don't you all come over? And we'll eat snacks and drink beers and watch Sarah Silverman's comedy DVD, which is yeah. exactly what we did. And it was like a, it was an event and it was it was amazing. So years later, to get an invitation to be on the team that would write jokes and pitch jokes at Sarah Silverman was like uh, was like, you know, it was a dream come true. It was uh, it was meeting your hero. And, you know, they say, don't don't do that. Don't meet your hero because you're going to find out they're not what you imagine them to be or hope they are. She was. She was everything I hoped and imagined. She's 
so smart and so funny and so engaged with the process. And every time she would change or alter something, she would improve it immeasurably. Unlike some celebrity hosts who say, what if I made it worse? They don't think they are making it worse, but they are. But every time Sarah Silverman would engage, it would just elevate it even more and more. And we were so lucky. What happened when we got on the ground is we were in Montreal. We, uh, we, we were backstage. Sarah ran through the jokes. We made some tweaks. She did the song. Uh, we rehearsed the song that I wrote for her, which was a thrill. And then Joan Rivers backstage had a camera crew. She was on E! at the time. She was filming backstage at Just for Laughs for E! And she throws the camera and microphone in Sarah's face and asks her some questions. And I'm 20 feet off, but I can overhear what's what's being said. And Sarah says, oh, they got me working with some writers from Canada. And I was like, uh-oh, this doesn't seem like it's going in a good direction. <laughs> and she says, and I was like, kind of uh, worried at first, but oh my gosh, they've been great. And I was just so relieved to hear her say that, thinking that we're not listening, thinking that she's telling Joan Rivers something behind the scenes, let me tell you. The festival connects you with writers that you've never met and you kind of worry, uh-oh, but no, they, they've been wonderful. And so I, to hear her say that was just so gratifying. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because you were moments away from potentially being slammed on E, which everyone right. knows you can't recover from that. No, especially As, if they don't name you. Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, everybody knows <laughs> that an anonymous slam on E ruins a career for any Canadian comic. Okay, so you said Sarah Silverman, and you were kind of toying with the idea of possibly Nathan Lane as well. Nathan is, is one of my favorite comedic actors. Uh, I, I love that guy. Uh, and I know you you wrote a, a song for him. You wrote some jokes for him. But if you have to, if you have to pick, I'm assuming, based off of the fact that Sarah was a like a favorite of yours when you were just, you know, a comedy fan working at the CBC, does Sarah get the edge on this one? I think Sarah gets the edge. I, I loved uh, working with Nathan Lane. He, he sang a song that I wrote yeah. and um, at the end of it, standing ovation. And I was getting texts from comics who were in the house going, was that yours? Did you write that? And I was like, that was mine. I wrote that. And it was extremely, extremely gratifying. Mr. Dean Jenkinson. Did you feel that slight cold chill come through the air? I do. I think there might be another ghost. That's my line. Can We're going to go back. I'll take that out. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Nice and silent. And then I'll say, I think there might be another ghost. I am the ghost of comedy present. Answer this. How do you know when you found your comedic voice? Getting deep in the weeds here. How do you know oh, when you found man. your comedic voice? Oh, I'll let you know when I find it. Um, I think, I mean, I think you know when you feel like yourself on stage. You know, I think all the best comedians are themselves just sort of, you know, in pro wrestling, they're like the best characters, they say, are just yourself turned up to 11, right? I like that. So, so Steve Austin isn't uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin 24-7, but... That's a, that's, that's a kernel of who he is inside. And they just crank up the volume really loud and the intensity really loud. So, you know, uh, if you can be that person who you are on stage, I got to think it's exhausting for a comic who does a character to put that character on. Cause it's, it's, uh, you know, when it clicks, it's a great feeling obviously, but even when it clicks night after night, after night, after night, to have to put that mask on and that uh, personality on and that voice on, 
you know, I'm a huge Emo Phillips fan, but mm. that's got to be that's got to be like a shift at the at the factory every night after 30 years to do that. Absolutely, um, but I would also argue that it, it is probably what you said as well. It's probably just them turned up to 11. There's no way that Emo Phillips in real life is not socially awkward a little bit, is not, you know what I mean, is does not have a lot of those insecurities and fears and uh, you know, so I and the character comedians that I know have kind of all taken a portion of themselves and amplified it a little bit. And some of them have put on an accent as well, but still it's the it is the same kind of a thing. It's just it's maybe not even amped up to 11. Maybe it's amped up to 15, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yeah. So I think, you know, you kind of know when you found it, when being on stage doesn't feel, you know, sometimes. Forced. Yeah. When it doesn't feel forced. Well, uh, I've, and- I've seen you live n- numerous times and you were joking that, you know, oh, I'll, I'll let you know when I find my comedic voice, but I feel like if that's the standard that we're going for, you 100% have found your comedic voice because you feel very natural on stage and you also feel very much like yourself. Like when I go on stage, I think there is like, you can tell once I leave and you talk to me afterwards, I think fans are disappointed often. They're like, wow, that was great. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm way low, lower key, but you, you could practically be having a conversation off stage and then continue that conversation on stage. It's so similar to your actual presence. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate where that's coming from. I think, you know, if I were coaching myself and, yeah. I, and I sometimes do, I would say, you know, if, if being yourself, but turned up to 11 is the way to do it. I feel like sometimes Dean, you only turn yourself up from like four to six, right? <laughs> like I'm just slightly more, present and slightly more energetic and slightly more uh, uh, um, animated, you know. But you are you are a hundred times more prepared. You have a list of jokes that you're saying on stage. Is that uh-huh. something? Does that count? I think so. I think, uh, you know, uh, having started stand-up uh, very long ago, like I was doing Amateur Nights in 1990, and, and you kind of, you know, you kind of build and act slowly and you yeah. let old things fall away and you add new things but uh, you know there's part of me that's very intrigued by the idea of just like doing the Jerry Seinfeld or Louis CK thing of just like okay now I'm going to throw that all away and I'm just going to start with a blank slate and see what I can come up with rather than trying to build on you know some of these old dusty bricks that uh, when I analyze them aren't always terribly well constructed or well considered. And there's a lot of fat in there and flab that you could cut away. And there's a lot of conversational nonsense. That's not keeping it tight and punchy. So, uh, you know, I, I think I still have, um, a long way to go and that's fine. That's not me as, as being, um, you know, I'm not beating myself up. What I've learned in comedy behind me, I feel like there's many more miles in front of me of what I haven't learned or haven't mastered. Hmm. I don't feel like I'm at the halfway point of the river. And you know what? I think that is completely, completely normal and healthy for a comedian. And funny that you said have uh, mentioned the word river, because I just heard that Joan Rivers didn't think that she was really funny until she was in her 70s. Oh, that's good. Well, I still got I, I, and I, think, I think it was actually Sarah Silverman 
ironically enough, who who said that in another podcast interview that I heard. But uh, I, that's the amazing thing about being a comedian is because it is you turned up to 11 or six, <laughs> depending on the night. Uh, you You are a work in progress and you are never complete. So your act as well is never complete. Yeah, I think and I think the challenge is always having your act reflect who you are in that moment, right? And not yes. sort of lagging behind you because, you know, you see too many, um, and, I, and I shouldn't point outwards, I should point inwards, but you see too many uh, comedians who are 35, but they're mm-hmm. still doing the kind of jokes about who they were at 25, right? Yes. And, and you kind of feel like, well, if that's who you are at 35, you haven't grown up much in the last decade, you know, and chances are, you aren't that person, but you are that person on stage still because your your act is lagging behind your life and your act is lagging behind your maturity and your act is lagging behind your circumstances, right? So I really admire comics who are able to turn stuff over quickly and uh, and continue to reflect their life and their perspective on the world uh, with more immediacy, right? And rather than sort of using their act as a uh, something they take out of the closet and dust off and present to people like it's a, a grad suit or a wedding dress, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sorry to cut this part of the conversation short, but I have no control over these things, and we're, it's happening again. I am the ghost of comedy yet to come. What would you choose if you could only choose one? Writing or performing? Ooh, wow. that's a good question, Ghost. And we don't even have that much time left in the this episode, but how, what would you choose if you could only choose one, writing or performing, Dean? I think, you know, I'll give you my reasons, but I'll just answer, I think I choose writing. I think I choose writing. Yeah. There's there's a gratification on stage when everything's clicking and the energy that you're giving back is coming back to you twofold and you're just in a rhythm and you feel like the audience has all the confidence in the world and you can go out on a limb and they'll come with you and you can try things in the moment that you wouldn't otherwise try and they'll go with you. Uh, but, you know, I don't, the older I get, the less I sort of need that hug from strangers on stage to feel all right or maybe the more i just don't like being around people could be one could be could be be one of uh, could be both could be a little of both i have good moments of just feeling perfectly fine uh not needing a lot of external validation and there's times when i'm just like leave me alone Mm." but either way both of those either way yeah they lend them to uh, staying in but um, i i really like that i think and i can see the appeal of it as well so dean as we as we turn the last corner here of this lovely uh, conversation we've been having um you know as well as i do this was no accident the ghosts have brought you and me, because we traveled through space and time together to these specific moments for a very specific reason. So what do you think the reason is? Why did the ghosts bring you to these three spots? What's the revelation you've had? How has this changed your life forever? What have the ghosts taught you? Oh, let's see. I think the ghosts might be trying to tell me to, um, you know, just be be more intentional about what I do comedically and to... Uh, you know, choose things, you know, we're in an industry in a country where opportunities aren't so plentiful, you have your pick of fruit, right? It's not like, uh, let's see, I'll have a little of this, but I don't need any of that. You kind of need to say yes to almost anything that comes your way if you want to, uh, you know, have enough work and make enough money. But 
I think, you know, I think what the ghosts are telling me is to be more present in my life and to continue to reflect my current circumstances and my current uh, viewpoint on the world in my act, which I don't always do, and to uh, continue to, um, you know, apply what I learned to uh, writing for projects that uh, I'm fortunate enough to be included in. Um, mm. You know, I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm currently in a blended family, which is just, you know, a whole new learning curve of uh, of relationship dynamics and i reflect that in my acts in such small ways i have a few jokes about it uh that i like and then i just sort of haven't um accepted the challenge because one wow. one i it's 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 there are a lot of minds there are a lot of minds when you're in a blended family which are also amazing cop comedy opportunities but i also want to be sensitive to those minefields because you know everyone's feelings in in a situation where everyone is um trying their best to navigate i want to be respectful of that and not go on stage and treat it all as grist for the mill right yes and that's and, wonderful yeah and to uh, you know and just be uh, all these wonderfully painful love relationships that you have that get tangled up to just have that all just be a candy you throw to strangers, you know? Mm. Um, I, I think that's my big challenge comedically right now because, you know, we, we're in a world where uh, a lot of relationships and marriages do not work out. You'd never think that you're going to be part of the 50% where it doesn't, but half of us are part of the 50% where it doesn't. And it's, it's a difficult, painful, and sometimes shameful thing to feel like you failed at it, you know? Mm. And then, uh, you know, the, the joke that I do that's kind of dark and biting is uh, I'm part of a blended family. Uh, you know, we have, we, have, we have three children that are the result of a blended family. If you're unfamiliar with, it, with what a blended family is, that's where you take all the damage and trauma of your divorce and you project it onto an innocent third party. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in there to unpack that I think people can relate to or they understand what I'm saying and the, the, the dark, sardonic uh recognition of 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 that and uh, you know i think I, I need to mine that a lot more that's awesome and i mean how could you not be a writer for someone who can just throw out terms like grist for the mill i think i wrote that down correctly i've never heard that before and it was well, that, beautiful that's that's an old timey uh that's doesn't an old matter <laughs> you now have ownership of it. That's how it works. Mr. Dean Jenkinson, where do people get a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, I got a website, deanjenkinson.com. I haven't updated it in a while, but it tells you uh, where to find me and what I've done. And, uh, and uh, yeah, send me an email through my website or follow me on Twitter at Dean Comedy, which is just, you know, a lot of dad jokes and a lot of anti-Trump sentiment. <laughs> uh, the good stuff. Only the good yeah. stuff. And some And some pro wrestling and mixed martial arts fandom in there. Something for everybody. And uh, yeah. we don't often do uh, time-stamped stuff, but I will say that if you were in or near Winnipeg, uh, May 2nd to the 7th, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival is happening, and it's going to be wonderful, uh, thanks in part to the Mr. Dean Jenkinson, who is uh, at the helm of that uh, big... Uh, ship. So we thank you. Look at me. Look, I tried to put a metaphor together and it took me about eight minutes to get those words <laughs> out of my mouth. Anyway, thank you so much to my wonderful guest, Dean Jenkinson. And thank you to the ghosts of comedy past, present and future. And most of all, like always, 
A huge thank you to all of you, our dear and wonderful listeners. Would you continue to subscribe to us? Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That helps other people find the show, uh, and we'd be really appreciative of that. I'm Matt Falk. Until next time, God bless us, everyone. 